Oh yes, that's useful, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so, hello, this is episode... I've already forgotten. Four? <laughs> it's kind of episode it's four, because we divided four. episode one into two parts. I know, I don't remember why we did. I did that. I think... Who knows? Who cares? Now, so, James, it's a, Yes. We are today taking a walk under lockdown conditions and observing strict lockdown protocols. Yeah, we're in good. Um, we are taking a walk uh, from Deveron, um, which is a small village just outside of Falmouth. And we are walking along what is pronounced, I believe, restaurant Restronget. 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 It looks like it should be pronounced restronget. Yes. It's very French, but it's... Restronget. Um, restronget. Um, a beautiful river estuary that leads into the Carrick Roads, which is the bigger estuary that uh, surrounds or runs across the harbour at Falmouth. It's an absolutely beautiful walk. It's a misty, slightly misty overcast day. The day... Um, Two days after my birthday. Oh, is it? Oh, it happy was my birthday! birthday. On the 7th. Thank I you. didn't know that. Oh, happy 28. birthday! Twenty-eight. Yeah. Again. Yes. Again. Um, oh, nice. Now, James. Yes. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Boo. Boo hoo. Uh -huh. Now that's a, that's what we call a joke. Oh, that's nice. Now, when we put jokes, jokes. into television, yep. we get comedy. Yes. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yes, we're going to talk about writing comedy. Yes. Now, that's this a... is uh, this is very much much more your field of. Um, expertise and experience than mine. So I thought perhaps we could um, start with um, me sort of asking you a few questions about comedy. Oh yes, comedy. I like being asked Does that questions. be good? Yeah, absolutely. I will have all the answers. <laughs> I mean, that strikes me that, um, well first of all I was going to ask you, Yes. did you, when you became a writer, as you decided I want to be a writer, did you become a writer because you wanted to write comedy or did you want to write and then find yourself writing comedy and realise that was something you wanted to focus on more? It, yeah, it was the latter. Um, it was definitely, I wanted to write. And when I, write stuff that, when I wrote stuff that wasn't comedy, I wasn't very interested in it, I found. <clears throat> um, but when I, especially scripts just seemed, well, I still writing scripts rather than prose. Scripts just kind of seemed suited to me to writing comedy, to just being... To letting characters talk and be funny, and that's the thing that kind of clicks with me is when you when you get a character and you know them, yeah, and then you're just channeling them. And did you sort of think to yourself, "This is comedy," or did you think, "Oh, this is letting characters live and breathe"? Oh my gosh, they're really funny. I think I'm more of a comedic writer. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think when I, initially I was trying to force jokes a little bit to happen, it was just this classic thing of just kind of characters telling each other jokes, which isn't very satisfying. <laughs> and then when I got more into kind of actual characters who had needs and wanted to do things and yeah. and actually were discussing stuff other than being funny and then you could let, let the natural kind of funniness of people come out. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. I think I made a mistake very early on in my career. Um, I teamed up with a couple of writers who That's I met. That's <laughs> Yes. Yeah, don't first, do that. First thing, first mistake. <laughs> teamed up with a couple of writers who I met on a, uh, a writing course, an Arvon writing course. I was 21. And um, we'd all been introduced to a a producer from the BBC and a writer from the BBC in comedy who you'll probably remember, Kim Fuller. Oh, yes. Yes, um, yes. And Kim Fuller told us, he liked, he just liked talking to us and he liked some of the stuff we've been working on and he said, I tell you what, I'll commission you guys to write a pilot for a comedy. Yeah. So, for the BBC. So we were very excited and we wrote a comedy pilot about hospital porters and... I think it was called something really, oh gosh, it was really bad, like the, the Bedpan Brigade or something, <laughs> yes. some awful thing. 
Yeah. And we did exactly the mistake that you clearly you avoided, which is we wrote a series of people telling basically telling each other jokes and setting each other up to say something. Oh, funny. we did that at the start. Yeah, that's, I did definitely do that at the start. But yeah, so, that, so is that the mistake? Yeah, that was the first couple of scripts I did. I was trying. I thought, oh, now I'm now I'm going to try and be funny, <laughs> and uh, so it was. There was like a loose plot, and it was just people setting yeah setting each other up for jokes, and um, going on hilarious tangents about. Like mispronouncing Keanu Reeves' name as Canoe Reeves. And I was like, well, I don't think this is that funny, but someone listening to it might. <laughs> I wasn't like writing for me, I wasn't writing what I found funny. So early I was comedy writing was more hope. It was very hopeful, yes. Right. It was very, uh, I think it was a radio script or something. And that's the thing I think I mentioned this in the first podcast, and I gave it to my friend to read. And she said, uh, well, it certainly reads like it should be funny. <laughs> and I thought, ooh. But I knew, I did, I knew what she meant, is it, had a, it did have the rhythm of a comedy. <laughs> that's, it it's just the actual like joke. It, <laughs> it reads like it should be funny. That's, that's the most great. cutting critique, but useful that I've ever had. Yes. And after that, I thought, you know, I think I might just write to amuse myself. Right. And, that's and, the way and to okay, go. so that's an interesting question. Do you find your own. Is that how you judge whether something is funny is it does it make you genuinely chuckle to yourself or do you have but I have a fr- friend I, I have lost touch with her a bit and her name's from Fanwy Moore she's a comedy producer and for a while she was head of comedy at the BBC oh, yes. and when I used to talk to her about comedy ideas I'd pitch her a comedy idea over over a, over a dinner or something and she would look at me without a trace of mirth on her face and say actually that's reasonably funny <laughs> that's 80% funny yes. that's a very comedy exact thing to do isn't it right. so yes that's so yes, do, so that's do, extremely it, funny so yes. I guess I'm saying what's your litmus test when you're writing for what's funny oh it's just making myself laugh there's, yes. no, there's literally no other litmus test with carpet right? I'm just moving Yes, in a minute we, we, we do sort of get a little bit more. You get off the track. No, it's just, just to make myself laugh, and I think that's it. And you get that. I'm always more confident in writing comedy, I think, because when, you, when you're looking back over the stuff you've done at the end of the day, if you're writing drama, it's not like I'm going to pick up a couple of pages I've that and go, oh God, that's still so dramatic. My right. heart's racing. But if I pick up something, it is still that's stupid, but it still makes me laugh. Yes. I'm still confident in it. In a weird way, it makes it easier to take criticism, I think, as well, because if I write something that I know I think is funny. Yeah. And they send it off to the producer and they go, oh, I just didn't like it. I don't mind that. <laughs> it's like, well, it's just, obviously it wasn't your sense of humour. That's absolutely fine. Someone right. else might love it. But if you've written drama and you send it off, someone goes, oh, it's not really working. You think, oh, no, my, you know, mechanically at some level it's failed. It's flawed. But they don't tend to think that about comedy if someone didn't like it. <clears throat> I just assume it's their, it's their fault. And frankly. that's because you can't deny the fact that it's making you laugh. Yeah, exactly. It's making me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I want out of, you know. Yes. No, if someone no. else liked it, that's a bonus. And I'm... how do you approach a comedy idea? Do you come at it from the concept? Do you come at it from character? What is it that first makes you think, or is it just a variation on those? Um, I think it's a, probably a situation first, and then I sort of find characters that I can drop in. Right. Does that make sense? Um, so, for example, you might go, I think there's something inherently funny about firemen and the world of firemen. So you might start with a precinct or a... Or yes. something a little bit more It kind of depends. It. I kind of re, I build it fresh every time I sort of start things. They come from different places. But, for example, um, I Fireman is a good one because when I worked, I worked at the factory in Falmouth for a few years and one of the guys there was a part-time... He's actually a part-time Coast Guard. He wasn't a Fireman. He was a part-time uh-huh. yeah. Coast Guard. But they all had these little beepers if you're part-time emergency services. And his, um, this guy's all sitting in a factory hand-assembling uh, card readers for the Turkish Underground. Not a oh. resistance movement, the actual, <laughs> literally the, the underground. Um, and his beeper went off and he got up and just ran through the back door. Well, wow. he meant to go through the back door, but he actually hit his head on the frame. Oh my God. And then sort of fell through the door. 
Ooh. and then just sort of <laughs> and then the door slowly sort of closed behind him and then we sort of opened it up and he knocked himself out he was all right he after about he looked himself out. out he was all right after about a minute he was fine oh god he was a bit of an ass to be honest so it was quite funny um but yeah then he got up and sort of staggered up and went off and i thought oh i like but there's something about the idea of being a part-time superhero <laughs> that I really like and also slightly flawed because you can rush off dramatically. No, Batman never did that. Batman never dashed off to a thing and knocked himself out. He never on tripped on his cape. Did he never he tripped his cape and knocked himself out. You know, no. that's very short. But there's, so that I thought, well, that's quite a funny situation you could sort of expand. Um, and interestingly then, so that started actually from a piece of pure slapstick. Absolute slapstick, yeah. I think it's because it was such a strong visual image that was in my head. I thought, oh. How can I create a situation which allows more of, yeah. <laughs> more of those? And then I did, well, I developed it as a comedy drama, and then it sort of the, the comedy got sucked out of it, and it just became a slightly anguished drama where uh, all these sort of butch firemen were, were supposed to sort of emote like quite sort of upper middle class, quite posh women, right? <laughs> essentially, who by, by coincidence were uh, producing the thing. I was like, I'm not sure this doesn't feel real anymore, and the comedy's right. gone, so it just I let it die. So okay, so. Um, so people who are thinking of um, maybe getting into comedy or writing a comedy script or... Uh, I mean, where do you think the, the comedy landscape... What do you think the comedy landscape is looking like at the moment? Because it strikes Emma and I a little as though right now it's dominated, not rightly or wrongly, but just in reality, it is dominated by the writer-performer. Yes. A lot more. Well, it has. I've, I was all psyched up to be quite cross about this. And then, weirdly, I just looked at a list of stuff that's about to be produced, about to become, that's been commissioned. Yeah. And actually, it's moved away from that. Ah, okay. Which is enormously encouraging, because there was a long time. I was, it felt like, if you wanted to get a comedy on the telly, yeah. writing a script is the worst possible way of doing it, because no one gives a shit. Right. <laughs> it's like if, if you do, like, a half hour, if you do, like, a stage show or something, or do yeah. a very funny YouTube video... Uh, yes, but actually writing a script, it kind of almost don't, feels like they almost don't know what to do with it. That sounds a bit weird. But they might go, yeah, this is really funny. Because I suppose, <laughs> is that because they see that usually now comedy like Miranda or like Fleabag, it's all based around a central character. One central character yeah. holds the whole thing together. And it's so, the magic, the lightning in a bottle that you're looking for is the connection, the synergy. If I can't believe I used the word no, synergy, no, I but think I it's have valid. Do it. The synergy between the performer and the material, yeah, um, which is so perfectly suited. One is so perfectly suited to the other, and of course Miranda and and, and Fleabag are both obviously performed by the, the writers of that. But but that, that it's 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 sort well, of. Well, they were writers. They were writers for Miranda. Um, right, James Carey. Right. If I early on, I was. Oh, I know James Carey. Yes, I know his oh, father yes, very well. Um, his father was a Jim Carey, neighbor. of course. A, a na- <laughs> oh, that's so crap. I'm so sorry. Uh, uh. Now, if you want to come and have a look at a lovely little pretty um, piece of headland, we, we could cut off here. Oh, yes. And then we walk along here and then we can pick up a little muddy track. Oh, yes, that'd be very nice, wouldn't it? Yes, Dever and Key. Yes, we can avoid people. We're scrambling off over. Um, yeah, no, I think... Uh, I used to get very annoyed about it, that it's so, it's so writer-performer-driven. Um... And then, as you sort of had to see it from the comedy commissioner's point of view, that those things are often quite good. <laughs> Fully bag around that they did all right. Yes, they did. I well. think you can't honestly say that and you know they were they were very. They good. failed. They were good. And it's interesting. They remade recently Miranda in America. Oh yes, I um, saw that with wonderful, um, the wonderful actress, um, I, 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 Mariam Balayak. Oh yes, that's right. who's who's Blossom? Is that Blossom? She and, Blossom and she was also yeah. one of the very best things about um, the Big Bang Theory. Yes, um, and and she's now the lead 
in the thing. And apparently it's nowhere near as good. No. The magic isn't quite there. I can there. imagine the magic. And that can't there. be because of the quality of the performance, because she's a brilliant comic actress. Um, so one assumes that one assumes that there, it is lightning in a bottle sometimes, and that having a writer-performer, an Alan Part, although I, I guess Alan Partridge is written That's written Steve too, Cooper yeah. And other people, isn't it? And then uh, the uh, Gibbon Brothers, I think, right. currently. Yeah, okay. they're written by loads of people. But there is a... There is an alchemy there, and it's, it's, it's really hard to get. And I think... I mean, also, there's a thing that... Um, commissioners and execs want to support slightly more glamorous people, like... Um, uh, you woman, you flea bag woman. It's, it's more exciting. Yep. More exciting to get behind an actor than it is to get behind. Well, a hint of business. A comedy that, writer. That flea bag. Woman. <laughs> that I flea believe bag you woman. mean Phoebe Waller. I'm so sorry. I genuinely forgot her name. Become Dame Phoebe. Da- <laughs> Queen of all the huts. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, it's oh, I don't know. It, it's very hard if you're a British comedy writer yep. not to get absolutely sucked into bitterness and resentment yes. the whole time. Yes. It, it genuinely is. And um, I think the last... I was going that way a few years ago, and I just pulled myself out of it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, can I just... To calm you, can I just draw your attention to this Oh, yes. Estuary? We'll get to a photo of that in a second. Um, oh, yeah. I should get a photo now. I'm going to pause We're this. We're going to take a photo. I'm going to take a photo. It's very nice. Let's have turn this off. Boop. Right, I've taken photos now. Oh, wonderful. Okay. We came down here in the bright sunshine the other day, and Emma and I, it was just... We sat and just... Oh, yeah. Oh, it was just, it was a dilly. No, no, this is lovely. I genuinely, I mean, this is like, what, five, six miles from my house, and I've yeah. genuinely never been here before, yeah. so this is very the, nice. That direction, you know, the Pandora Inn. Oh, yes, yes. Down there on the right. Yes. It's sort of, you can't see it quite, but uh, it's lurking there. It's lurking there. Very nice. No, I was talking about bitterness and resentment. <laughs> yes, bitterness. We're back on. We're back on. We're back on. Picking up from bitterness and resentment, yep. James. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, well, if I just talk about, uh, one thing worth talking about, maybe, is part of the problem with the with your British being a British comedy writer is the ecosystem is so sort of small. Yeah. And if you're in a if you're in America you could um, you could be a staff writer, so you could write for Brooklyn you know, if you bang out a few episodes of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yep. Or New Girl or whatever, just like keep going and gradually work your way through the system as well. well can like you a talk a bit about that? Yeah. Because I and for people who don't understand Oh, really, yeah, yeah. how the, the two systems work in different sides of the Atlantic. And yeah. I know it's changing and it's evolving over It's all very fluid. But yeah, so well, the Americans, if you take something like The Simpsons, um, you've, got your, you've got your sort of showrunner, um, probably the head writer, but it kind of changes. But they will literally they'll sit in the writer's room with, with, say, 25 highly paid Harvard graduates. Um, in, this, in Futurama, everyone who wrote for Futurama didn't just have a degree in science, they had PhDs in science. So, you know, so you can imagine also, you can imagine the pay's good enough that they didn't bother <laughs> doing the biochemistry, but, you know, we'll just, we'll just be comedy writers. Um, so, no, so you'll sit around the table with your 25 highly paid Harvard graduates and come up with ideas for shows, and you pass them out to, like, maybe one writer each. Um, go off and write them, come back, and then you sort of sit, all sit around the table, the script is, is brought up on the big screen, and you go through it line by line, wow. and make it funnier, and you've got wow. 25 people sitting there. They bring it up on a big funny. screen? Bring it up on the big screen, work wow. through it, make it, yeah. Wow. We can't afford big screens in this country, which is a shame. <laughs> uh, but there is... There must be a charity, there must be a Just Giving page we can set up. Yeah, exactly, just to help out. But I think the main, basically because in the, the game was, and it's changed, you know more about this than me, but the game in America was all about chucking loads of money at the beginning, hoping yeah. your show would get to 100 episodes or whatever of syndication, mm, yes. and then everyone's like a billionaire. Yes, that's right. So yes, someone said you're being paid, kind of, you're being paid to fail in one system, paid to succeed in the other. I can't remember which is which. <laughs> right. yeah. um, 
Whereas in Britain, it just doesn't quite, you know, there isn't the money to do that. Um, we were very lucky on Greenwing that there was the money to do a, to have a writer's room. Well, it's interesting. When I, um, many, many years ago, I was, um, Ashley Farrow and I were working with Jane Tranter and, and Judy Gardner when they were setting up in America. And one of the things that they were overseeing was the remake of um, Absolutely Fabulous ah. by Fox Television, which was recast. Um, you can go down this little path, I'll show you. Oh, yeah. I think you'll be good. Um, which was recast, obviously. Uh, I, I don't know the actress who played Eddie, um, but a pan Patsy was played by a wonderful actress who'd been in third, uh, third Rock from the Sun. Oh, yes. Very statuesque woman, tall statuesque Oh, yes, woman. she's great, yes. She's very, very funny. Funny bones, very funny bones. Um, so, anyway, we went to the recording. There was one writer, female writer, who had written um, the pilot, and we went to the recording, which took about two hours. It was very interesting. It was directed by um, a man called Burroughs. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head, but it turns out that Burroughs is one of the most celebrated. Yes, I, I think he directed Cheers, Cheers, um, Taxi, yeah, um, Glenn Burroughs. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, very fascinating process. And afterwards, we were fortunate enough, Ashley and I, to to sort of watch the a little bit of the post mortem. So they recorded it in front of an audience, and then they all sat down on the studio floor in, on the set and had a conversation about what was working and what wasn't working. And um, what was very interesting was suddenly out of nowhere came about seven or eight people I'd not seen before who all came and stood around the writer, some of them resting their hands on her shoulder as though they were praying over her, <laughs> one of them actually holding her hand, and they all sat together <laughs> while she received the notes while she Good went Lord. through the horror, the existential terror of receiving notes from the studio set. Um, and then they disappeared, all of these writers, into a hotel for three days to rewrite the script mm. based on those notes. Those people hadn't existed until then. Suddenly they were there and suddenly it was, you know, a process. And Ashley and I were absolutely... I'm not saying we were disapproving, we were just flabbergasted. Yeah. We were flabbergasted such a process could even exist. It's a exist. different world, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, we were like used to writing things and just sitting on our own while TV execs pulled it all apart. <laughs> and then going off on our own and having to deal with... But I, I, I believe they call it gang-banging. Gang-banging <laughs> the script. Oh, okay, okay, yes. Um, so um, I imagine comedy can really benefit from, from that process, actually. Yeah. Um, would, you say, would you say it's particularly good? process I don't comedy? I don't know that at that stage it is um, <clears throat> because then you're getting loads of the, I know, you know, we'll you've sort of forgotten yeah we'll just come in here we'll, we'll tuck in here for you you guys can no burst problem. that's all right <laughs> yeah sorry you're, you're not, you're I think I don't know because I think I think that's that's where you kill it and you, as the writer you forget why something was funny in the first place yeah um, it's very it's very difficult to it must be difficult to give notes to those comedy writers, I think, because sometimes you, as a comedy writer, you're going, well, that's just how it came out. <laughs> and obviously, there's a certain right. amount of tweaking you can do. Right. But sometimes when you're asked to go, well, why is that funny? You go, well, if you don't get it, it doesn't mean they're wrong. No. But if you don't get it, clearly it's not funny. And if I put a line in explaining it better, it will cease to be funny. And, you know, the alchemy can... And that's not an argument for saying comedy writers should never take notes, although I believe they should. <laughs> you know, because obviously there's practical reasons why you have to, yeah. you know, tweak things and change things. But well, with comedies, yeah, it's a nod. No, that's interesting. When I, was, um, when I was writing on This Life, um, I wrote... I, I, I had a script editor, um, and 
I came in one day having delivered my new script for this life and she sat me down and we went through it and it was all fine. Then we got to this particular very protracted scene. It was about a four page scene um, between a character called Miles, played by Jack Davenport, and a character called Egg, played by Andrew Lincoln. And it was basically two very naughty boys discussing, um, let us politely call it onanism. Ah. Um, they were and discuss, discussing embarrassing things that had happened to them as kids, discovering their sexuality. Um, I'm going to be as coy as that. <laughs> um, it was very dirty. It was very silly. It was very, very much what I felt boys talked and giggled about, especially when they'd had a few beers. And my script editor said to me, I, I, I just don't think we need this scene. And I said, but it's, it's really funny. And she went, well, I don't find it funny. I find it... If I'm honest, Matthew, I find it a little uh, sort of up here. I find it a little purient. And I said, it is purient. A puerile? A puerile. Pure. It's a little puerile. And I said, well, it is, totally. it is puerile. <laughs> I said, but 24-year-old men of 24, 25 years old are a bit puerile. Yeah. Anyway, it went into a long discussion about whether certain lines were funny and whether then certain words were funny. And as we became more into the weeds on it, I started to say to her, but look, of course, none of it's funny now because we've put it on a forensic. <laughs> yes, you've pinned table. the butterfly to the wheel there. Someone enjoying some puddles. Oh yes, good splashing. <laughs> good splashing. Good splashing, young man. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like you put it on a forensic table, you put a massive, great surgeon's operating light over it, and it's now blanched and cut open. And no, you're right; it doesn't live or breathe anymore. It's a dead thing. Because anyway, I begged her basically. As a jobbing writer, I had no power. And I was like, please, can we not cut this? And I said, why don't we just wait and see what happens at the read-through? And she said, OK. Well, at the read-through, we actually struggled to get through that scene because uh. the actors kept corpsing and all the execs and the people who were sitting around the table were all laughing. And the script editor was sitting next to me and she nudged my leg as if to say, all right, OK, I get <laughs> it. All right, then. I get it. It's a really funny yes. scene. And it was. I think, yeah, re read-throughs I find incredibly useful. I mean, because the process in um, Green Room was we'd write the scene, yeah. take it down to the basement where the actors, you know, had been briefly unchanged, and then they <laughs> they do it. They do it once as written, and then they just ask about and do their own versions of it. And sometimes they made it better. And sometimes it didn't work, but sometimes, well, we, we knew that didn't work, but that's fine. But it, it's great. And then you sort of feed that back into the script, and that's really, really useful. So how much improv have you... Um, had to work with in your time in comedy then? It the depends. <clears throat> um, I mean, not a huge amount. And also, that was a bit annoying with Green Room because I think sometimes uh, they, they big up how much improv was in it. And you're like, well, it is improvised, <laughs> but there also are some writers. Vic, the producer, was very good at the interviews. Okay? And the writers, <laughs> who did the but you know, some of them did, like Steve Manger, did a lot of improvisation. It was great. And it was really good, and it worked. And some of them didn't. Uh, one of the actors said about how she. Uh, she improvised the word pashmina in okay. the scene. And we were like, is that really, is that really improvisation? No, just the word. And it turned yes, out that really, uh, she'd been, uh, on the way to the set, she'd been sitting in the back of the car with the, the writer, and the writer said, why not change it to pashmina? So right. She hadn't, hadn't even improvised that. Hadn't even improvised. Well, you see, it's because like, um, I've been watching Stage to the David Tennant oh, yes. scene, which is very funny, and I, I really love it. And there's a fantastic piece in that where 
they debate with the writer of the sh- of the show stage how yeah. much they've improvised. Yes. And it, it's them taking the piss out of themselves as actors and saying, yes. well, we kind of improved a lot of it. And he went, I'm the writer. <laughs> I, wrote like the this. Yes. I wrote it down. I spent weeks working on my own on a computer writing this. Cards <laughs> up on my wall. Yes. You come along, you make up one word, you put on a funny face, and you go, I basically co wrote yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that's very, yeah, exactly. But it, it's interesting because in America, I think actors are much happier to do, to do improv. Um, a lot of them come out of a sort of formal improv background, like with the groundlings and second city and that sort of stuff. So they're very into it. Yes. Whereas in Britain, a lot of um, actors are more into, I will do the scene exactly as you've written it. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to, you know, come at it in all sorts of weird ways. That's fine. That's, and that's, is it also, do you ever get the thing where they say, okay, look, I'm doing it exactly as written, but then can I do a take where I try something out? Oh, God, that's all, yes, that's yeah. brilliant. I love that. What annoyed me is when I was working on, um, uh, so Delivery Man. Yeah. Which is the ITV sitcom. And yeah. um, what's he called? Paddy, I can't remember his name. He was really nice. He's on, he does Top Gear now. He's a, oh, yes, he's great. I love yeah, him. He's Paddy, really yeah, he's really nice. I, I was, Paddy McGuinness. Paddy McGuinness. And he kind of had a thing where he just wouldn't say, I think, I felt like someone had told him, you don't do any line straight as it's written because that's not what an artist does. You have to, you have to change it. And it felt like he was tweaking every line for the sake of right, it. And I was right. like, I was, there is a kind of a rhythm to this that's going to get lost. Yes. Um, and there's one bit where there's a, um, a manila envelope, except his character calls it a vanilla monolope. And he's like, why do I call it a vanilla? It doesn't make sense. I think like, it's just funny. It's, it's just funny. It's vanilla just funny. Monolope. A vanilla it's like, monolope. It's yeah. funny. And then, bless you, he did read it. It was fine. It's like when Julie Walters says in there's a, Julie, there's a Victoria Wood film, and Julie Walters says she's playing a posh actress flown in from New York, but she's actually from Bolton or somewhere. Yeah. And she says, I've got this face powder. I have it made, blended for me, especially in vagina. Geneva. <laughs> Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, no, oh. no one really ever would ever say it quite like that, no, but, it's but it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. You say it right, it's funny. So there is, I think there's always a lot of tension between, uh, well, hopefully creative tension between kind of actors and writers. I, um, but yeah, the improv thing can be a bit, a bit sticky. Okay, so pr- but then they, people can improvise and make it brilliant as well. well. And do you ever use a process, um, again, I, I remember when we were, Ashley and I were writing a film for Aardman animation called Cat Burglars which was basically the Italian job with cats. Yep. And instead of gold bullion, they were trying to steal uh, something, new, something new in the cat world, which was not double top cream, but triple top. <laughs> platinum with the platinum Super. top on the milk bottles. They were going to raid a, a milk float and take this triple top cream. Um, and um, uh, we actually, we had a script, a first draft of the script, and the producer, who was a comedy producer, Sarah Smith, took several of the scenes and us and we had a, a day of workshopping with a different set of actors coming in including Noel Fielding, um, Kevin Eldon, ah. various other people came in and played the roles um, uh, played the roles um, of, 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 the, of, the, of the cat burglar gang and, and read our lines completely uh, straight and then also riffed on them oh, that's interesting. And while we took notes. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. It was actually it was very play. exciting. I mean, that's my favourite thing, is just playing and then being in the basement to talk back with people, having your script, doing it once as written and then just mucking about with it. It was absolutely my favourite thing. It was great. Kevin Eldon, supportive. I remember, was oh, particularly great. good. Yeah. He was very funny. Noel Fielding, funnily enough, who you thought would be more... Um, improvisational yeah. was, was just brilliant at the, at the character he was given yeah. he was given this character and he sat down and he did this character so delightfully and then afterwards I said oh you know you're going to riff on it and he went well I might just do some movements and he was, <laughs> he was really sort of not worried about changing the lines oh, which was kind of interesting Kevin Eldon was like desperate to go off and do his own yeah. thing 
and it was very funny when he did. But very I think there's, it's like a different, different actors just bring us different energy, which I know is an obvious thing to say. Mm. But I know when, because um, I came on board with Greenwood, they'd already made the, um, they made the pilot. So I already had all the characters' voices in my head because I'd seen it, and that's incredibly useful for me. I need to be able to sort of hear mm. the character before I can kind of write for them. Um, but they had so much trouble trying to find someone to match uh, Steve Mangan's kind of character, who's right. a guy secretary and the surgeon, because he's just this huge swashbuckling maniac, yeah. awful person. Yeah. Um, and they, they kept trying to bring in people who would match his energy, and it just didn't work. And, there was a, and eventually Julian Wayne turned up and sort of stepped over this pile of corpses and, brought, and just did a, a thing where his energy is absolutely the opposite. He just is very... Uh, I'm not sure the word is sedate, yeah, very calm. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of, it leaves, um, it leaves Steve Mangan's character kind of floundering and trying to impress him the whole time. It's right. a really interesting, it's right. just perfect dynamic. And then that's Julian. Just that's Julian Runtime. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I've and worked he, with Julian on a radio play. I think uh, he's, he's a lovely man. He's lovely, isn't he? Yeah. But I mean, they're both great. And it's just, it's like, ah, oh, suddenly this dynamic was there. It wasn't like two arseholes no. being horrible to each other, which is no. boring. It was one sort of slightly vulnerable kind of asshole guy, and another guy who's, who's, who's friends with him because he, he hasn't really got anyone else to be friends and doesn't need to be friends with anyone. And suddenly, there's, that, there's a vulnerability going on. It was really, really interesting, and lovely. And that, so they, they they would sort of riff off each other the whole time. I mean, that's I wrote a scene. There's a scene. This is my my favourite thing. Was um, it was an argument over whether to pronounce uh, the word funky as funky or funkar. And on the on the page, it's like three lines of funky, funkar. And they just took it and ran with it. And it goes for about, you know, it goes about two minutes. And so my percentage of that episode is considerably higher than it ought to be because they were just like riffing off Two minutes off of, it and, of riffing yeah. on, fun, on the word funky. Funkar, funky, funkar. All right. So, uh, so I'm quite grateful to, to the improv well, element. Now, so, so in a way, a lot of comedy is, is kind of approached a little way Mike Lee writes drama, which is to definitely write the script, yeah. but then to rewrite it through a process of discovery with your cast. It I mean, can that is certainly be, yeah. one way of doing it, isn't it? And I think, I think it's moving more that way because I think actors feel like they ought to be more improv and I don't think they're necessarily right. But I think The problem is with... I'm, I, 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 I hesitate to speak for comedy um, because my experience in comedy is scant, but speaking for drama, the danger is not that they can't come up with interesting ideas and lines and thoughts mm. in the moment that might work in the absolute moment of the scene or on the page, on that page. Yeah. But they don't have what writers have, which is the overall picture in their heads. Yes. The overall arc of what's going on. And the, the context tone, of it all is really The context yeah. and the mood and the developing tone. It's, it's not just a case of, I've come up with some interesting lines. Um, and I remember, yes, I, I had that on a, on a drama early in my career where the director wasn't very good at... He was a very good director. I really liked him as a person and he was a great visual director, but he wasn't very good at keeping control of his cast yeah. and sort of keeping them on track. And once they start realizing they can make stuff up on camera um, and they're not going to be stopped, they all start doing it. Yes. With very, very varied degrees of success. Yes, you can get mixed results with it. Definitely. And um, so in the end, I had to sort of sit down. You're thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Well, I didn't know she was stopping for us. I didn't know she was stopping. She was stopping for us and we didn't say thank you. Oh, gosh. She, oh, we, she got we did get told off. Um, Look, she was just stopping. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, the, um, well, well, I've lost, got, I've got I lost my train of thought now because I just got told off. I know, I've been with that, we've been to be told off. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so in the end, I had to sort of sit down with the actors and just sort of say, 
look, you know, this isn't really, this improv isn't really the right way to go. If you want to, if you have a problem with a line or you want to add or make some kind of addition to a scene, um, maybe the best thing to do would be to um, give me a ring and let's have a chat about it. Yeah. Um, and that kind of stopped them. But I mean... <laughs> You're a wet blanket, isn't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm a massive wet blanket. Also, you are not here to... Actors really don't want to have to bone you up. No. Um, so, but, but comedy obviously, you know, has a different set of... It has a different set of logics. It has a different science behind it in a way. Um, and yet at the same time, it's arguably even more free-forming and more free-wheeling than... than than if you like straight drama. Yeah, I mean you can go either you can go off the rails very quickly with comedy. Right. Um, I think the one thing you have to do if you're creating a show is you have to set the rules of almost like that universe, which I know sounds a bit poncy. Oh, but we would have big debates. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so we can say thank you to everyone now. And rightly so. Uh, big debates about what the actual rules were and what the Thank, thank you. you. Um, so people because people called Green Wing surreal, which it kind of was. But we didn't, we're trying to think of times when we'd actually broken the rules of physics in that show. And I think there were two. One was uh, Sue White, the woman, the, the office organised woman, um, playing with a ping pong ball and she's sort of blowing it and it just goes up and vanishes and never comes down again. Right. And that was like, that's, is that the only time we really broke the rules of physics? Um, and there's sometimes, because if you don't have some sort of boundaries to mm. it it mm. just becomes meaningless very very quickly just sort of silly and i quite like intelligent silliness yeah but just empty silliness is really annoying i think what um comedy writers uh, really good comedy writers do extremely well and understand extremely well is structure yeah um stephen moffat's a case in point i mean when you look back at particularly coupling i think is probably the best example of his early well, earlier work where when you look at coupling it always was playing with time and playing with structure so oh, he yes. would often tell a story backwards or he would tell a story where you're seeing it from two different characters points of view and then you suddenly realize they're actually on different days um, of the week or something i mean he would he would mess around with it and but he always did it in a way that was he was very in command of it and it worked very, oh, very yes. well and never, then, never self-indulgent there's just something really playful about it playful without being, and yeah. creative and of course then when he came to doing doctor who um particularly doctor who but sherlock as well then he applied that approach to his drama and then he and of course probably brought it together the most brilliantly with blink the episode of got to with the weeping angels where he played with time and structure in such a clever way that you know it was it was just like watching a, a sort of a clock being assembled a sort of watch being assembled or something it was yeah. very 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 brilliant and i was in absolute um, admiration and yes, an aura or of the structure of that script um so I guess what I'm saying is, is that, and, and, and then I'm also thinking about, um, uh, oh gosh, and I've forgotten his name now, Jesse, the guy who basically wrote Peep Show. Peep uh, Show. Jesse Armstrong. Jesse Armstrong, who of course then show ran Succession. Yeah. Um, now that's a different show. It doesn't play with time in, in any shape, sense or form, but it does bring to bear a, a mixture of, the structure of it is very, very clever. And it is a dark farce. It's King Lear played as a farce. Yeah, um, and I would say fast, even though it doesn't have actual pratfalls. It it's did, not slapstick. But it's, it's not slapstick, but it, you know, it did have a sequence where Roman, the character of Roman, um, shortchanges a satellite launch and it blows up on the on the launch pad as he's having a dinner party. Oh yes, that was. And then he goes, "Don't worry, don't worry. Apparently, someone lost a thumb, and that's all that's happened." <laughs> that's um, that's no one died. No, no one died. That's so, a very peep showish kind of. That's a peep showish kind yeah. of thing. So, I guess what I'm sort of saying is that structure 
in comedy, I think is incredibly important on the macro and the micro. Macro structurally, across your whole story, but on the micro level, how you construct a line or a scene depends on whether it lands as a piece of comedy or not. I yeah, really thought. and I think what's uh, someone, um, BBC uh, script, I just had to mention, I still think it's really useful, that uh, the writers he works with, they're always strong at two out of the three of structure and comedy and dialogue. And there's always one where they're a little bit maybe less confident on. Oh, okay. But it's rare for someone to be absolutely brilliant at all three of those. Right. Or even the best writer, it's quite interesting to look at, oh, actually, that's maybe structure's not quite your thing. Right. Or maybe you're not, you know, it's, it's maybe what they're not, not interested in so much as what they're not, not good at. But yeah, I think, I think um, if you're a British comedy writer, you actually could get away with not worrying too much about structure for a bit because mostly it's just six episodes. <laughs> because if you look at American sitcoms, they've got to run for 20 episodes a series. You don't write all of them, you get the team in. Well, they're, they're three but scenes or three lines long, aren't they? And the, you look at Big Bang Theory, yeah. and it moves. I mean, there is hardly a scene in the Big Bang Theory that I would say runs more than half a page, or no. three quarters of a page. No. Well, we, I, try, I, think, I try not to write any... Any scenes that are three pages at the very maximum. Right. Um, I try to write for, for a, so written for a half, so comedy half hour, like commercial half hour is what, 22 minutes, 30 yeah. seconds now? Right, okay. And you've got no time. That's no time at all, is it? No time at all. I mean, um, that's a 25 page script or something? Or um, but well, it depends because I, I write, I don't mean I write quite fast, I mean I write the script for it to be said quite fast. So it tends to be more about sort of 30, maybe even 35 pages if you want it to go really fast. Right. So you have a sort of... Now, yeah, speaking of that sort of thing, so um, I, I doubt you can talk in any detail about this, but you are currently developing a, a, a comedy um, show, comedy oh, yes. series for the BBC. Um, I mean, I know you won't want to be, go into detail about what it's about, but can you talk to us at all about how you approach that and the no, format? And... Yeah. Um, well, basically, it's, C, it's for CBBC, and they... I think, reading between the lines a little bit, they have an issue with, with boys. We all have an issue with boys. I mean, boys are just awful. <laughs> They're smelly. But they have a, they have a particular smelly, smelly, farty boys. Mm. But what happens is smelly, farty boys are really into CBBS. Yep. And then as soon as it gets to be um, to CBBC, they just bugger off to Netflix and watch animation instead, or YouTube, or mining, you know, yep. uh, or Minecraft, Minecraft videos, yep. or play Minecraft. Yeah. And they're like, why are we, why are we kind of losing the boys? Yep. Um, and it seems good in my own family, this is exactly what happened. My daughter, who is 12, yeah. has watched every single hour of every single CBBC episode. Uh, <laughs> three or four times. It's actually got horses in it. Three or four times over. <laughs> who my, doesn't love who, horses? Who doesn't apparently. love horses? Fantastic. But my son kind of, you know, he loves Hey Dougie and stuff like that, which is great. Yeah. And then as soon as he got a little bit too old for that, no, Netflix. Straight or, to Netflix or anime. playing Nintendo Switch. Or, yeah, it's now really horrendous Ninja Scrolls stuff where people don't <laughs> get No, he doesn't watch that. I wouldn't watch that. Um, but yeah, it's really, really interesting. And um, so they were looking for something a bit different. So I kind of, essentially, I just kind of pitched, well, let's do a family sitcom, but in that green wingy, broken comedy sort of style. So it's got the energy of a sketch show or an animation. And you're not particularly bound to the rules of physics. Um, and I thought, well, I mean, love it when you do this. It really annoys me. But so I pitched my own family, essentially. It was like, right, the four main characters are my own family. And I just <laughs> used our middle names. And that's kind of it. It's like a completely normal family. In a sense, but also in a way that everyone thinks their own family is normal. But you actually, your own your own family has these completely mental traditions that make perfect sense to you. Um, well, I, I was very fortunate because you gave me a little sneak peek of um, the the, the pilot oh, yes. script, and um, I, I have to say I did think it was very funny, and uh, I laughed out loud a lot. And oh, um, 
but what also what was interesting you never told me what the actual format and structure of the thing was going to be so i was completely thrown when i started reading it because i thought i was going to get sort of hello darling i'm home and then the kids yeah. coming out and i thought it was going to evolve like a sort of sitcom um and and what actually i got was a series of vignettes very punchy very fast very american in structure like nothing's really more than about a page and a half or two pages and then you move on and then you're in a completely different environment but it's all to do with the, the family and um, i really liked that i thought it was once i got my head around what you were doing which was very quickly once i got a few pages in i thought oh i see what's happening here yeah um i found it um i think what i liked and i i think this is why it could work very well for boys is I always had my attention kept. Yes, and I didn't that was wander it. off. No, because I know my son will wander off if there's a complicated plot mm. or a complicated structure. Uh, he, he'll be off. And actually, weirdly enough, you think it's not necessarily an attention kind of deficit thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is oddly, um, em it's an empathy thing, which is quite strange. Which is, um, and just seeing him do the same as me, where he'd be watching something that's vaguely dramaish, and he'd be standing in the doorway because if it, anyone gets embarrassed or upset. He just goes, oh, it doesn't like it. And they'll just run off. And right. I remember doing exactly that sort of thing. Yeah. And there's an extreme version of that. It's called hyper-empathy, where you just can't, you can't cope with any kind of conflict because it just really upsets you. And I thought, oh, that's funny, because I was like that as well. But if it's... So I was trying to think of something that's big and cartoony without being silly and annoying. Um, and also, you know that if something embarrassing or awkward or troubling is happening it's going to jump off in about 30 seconds yeah, or 40 exactly. seconds you're going to we're not going to dwell on it you're not going to dwell on it and you're going to be moving on and everyone's reset yeah the reset button is pressed sort of between pretty every much. pretty much i mean you've got one running gag particularly one running gag which i can't i can't reveal but well i can one. well i can pick because i i um i didn't have to do a massive detailed out, outline for it which was yeah. very satisfying so the producer just said look just i did an outline i said look the main storyline is this it's all based on my family so the sun Called Pete, and although he's um, he's the character's deaf, my son isn't deaf, but the character Mrs. Pete is deaf. He hates having his school photo taken. In fact, his photo taken generally. So the whole thing is him trying to avoid having his school photo taken. In fact, he's basically a junior supervillain, so he's in control. And then the new school photographer turns up, and, and he's like the great white whale. He's like, yeah. she's like, I have to get this kid's photo because that'll yeah. be legendary. Yeah. And it's just a series of stupid sketches, and it get increasingly more cartoony and ridiculous. Um, and it breaks the rules of physics, doesn't it? It's oh, not God, like, yes. it, Yeah, it's not just he, he you can't quite... He, he, I mean, the stuff that you describe, which is very funny, again, I'm not going to spoil the gags, but... But, but there's, yeah, there's weird visual jokes, which actually, when you stop and think about it for a second, don't make any sense. But we've moved on. <laughs> it's like, well, that, I like... Well, I, my favourite thing in shows is you go, wait a minute, oh, it's moved on, never mind. Yeah. I love that. The Muppets yeah. did that fantastically yes, all the time. Those are my favourite ever Muppet joke, and it's such a small one. Is, um, is Kermit going, oh, just bear with me a second. Hey. Hey. And um, he just takes a long as a, as a drink with a straw, and you see the level go down. Yeah. And he looks at the camera and goes, think about it. <laughs> and then he goes on to the next, and you go, whoa, hang on, how did he do that? Because it's someone's hand, and you'd forgotten. You'd forgotten it's a hand, it's not an actual person. That's great. And he points out, and then moves on. And I love that kind of stuff so much. No, 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 it's great. It's great. It's great. I think it's because him, because my son likes uh, horrible histories, and that's just so sort of anarchic and... Yes, it's wonderful, the top horrible. It's just fantastic. And I thought, ah, oh, it's interesting that he will watch that even though it's not animated. So uh, Okay, so that's know. an interesting... And, of course, the other thing I think to say about comedy is, is, is at its broadest, or not even at its broadest, but at it, there's a certain type of comedy which works perfectly well for adults or for children. I mean, there isn't much about, for example, ghosts. Yes. Ghosts basically, apart from the odd joke and the odd reference and the odd sort of context... Ghosts basically works for children, doesn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, you could almost show that on CBBC and it wouldn't seem... And I, and I mean that with, with, as, as a Oh, no, in a good way, yeah. yeah. 
Um, you and can sit and watch it as history. a family. Yeah, my daughter loves ghosts as well. But we haven't sat down and watched it, but I, we could, and we wouldn't be embarrassed. By it. No, and and um, in, although again, Miranda has a sort of you know relationships context which would go over a lot of kids' heads, but not that much. I, I, you, you could put Miranda on at yeah. five o'clock with a few few editorial sort of tweaks. Yeah, and kids, particularly girls, I think would find it. Hysteric to be funny. Yes. She falls over, she sings in a funny voice. I mean, I mean did you used to watch, um, did you, when you were younger, did you watch telly with your parents? Yes. Yes, I, I, I did. Um, and I, yes, I did to a certain point. Yeah, I did. What did you watch? Um, I remember, funny enough, I was talking about this with someone the other day in the context of what we're talking about. I remember the first time I watched Monty Python. Oh, wow. And I was, I was poorly. I had a sore throat and I couldn't sleep. And I was just complaining, and my dad said, my mum was out at a friend's or something. My dad said, come down, I'm watching something called Monty Python. Come and sit down with a Ribena, and um, take your mind off your sore throat. Watch these very silly men. We can turn around any time you like, by the way. Oh, yes, well, I'm happy to, yeah, keep trundling on okay. whenever. Um, yeah, and he said, come watch this very silly thing. And I remember it was, um, I think it was Twitter of the Year or something. Anyway, it was a very, very daft sketch. Yes, and I, I remember wondering why this programme was on at 9.30 at night. <laughs> I couldn't understand why this wasn't for children. Yeah. People were being hit over the head with giant fish, falling out of windows, dressing up as old ladies. Yes, potentially very... Uh... Hey, it was strangely childlike, wasn't it? Yes, and then they have something absolutely horrendous. You go, oh, that's why it's on at 9.30. It's absolutely... Absolutely full-on stuff. Oh. I'm having flashbacks to that lady saying thank you sarcastically because we didn't say thank you to her we didn't realise that she was waiting for us I know, I almost feel like going back and giving her a written supposition Yeah. giving her a written in our defence in our defence if I could just explain (laughs) that we didn't know that you were waiting for us you would just sort of stopped by the side your dogs need the wee or something but but anyway yes okay so you'd watch that because I'd watch I mean Muppet Show definitely Uh, Victoria Wood and I've even watched Last of the Summer Wine. I do remember that being sort of quite funny. I quite liked Last of the Summer um, Wine. I, I watching liked... when I was little, watching it with my parents. Well, was... Last of the Summer Wine often ended with Compo dressed as a scarecrow, sitting in a bathtub on wheels, being rolled down a hill out of control, which yeah. is, is definitely the realm of children's comedy yeah. as well as, um, you know. I just remember there's an episode of uh, Last Summer Wine where a poodle just turned, they're all sitting on a hillside thinking or reflecting. And, and a poodle turns up and Compo says something like, uh, oh, someone's made a right bog up of, she- right of shearing that sheep. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, yeah. my dad was laughing so much, I thought he was going to die. It's <laughs> 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 like, I don't know that this is my sense of humour, but I like that my dad likes it. That's yes. quite sweet. Yes. So, that, so what were the sort of comedies you most admired then? What, what are the comedies you most admire, like past and, and present? Um, kind of big influence. Well, I mean, stop, stop going about the Muppet Show, but there is something just magical about it. It's of a, course. It's a source of unending uh, tragedy that my family don't really get the Muppet Show. I've introduced my kids to the Muppets, and they just go, no, it's a bit creepy, Dad. I don't like it. It's a bit creepy. <laughs> it's a bit creepy. It's like, You're creepy. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, Victoria Wood was a really big influence. Mm. Mainly because um, we just moved down from Blackpool at the time, so actually hearing someone who had the same accent that I briefly had, <laughs> oh, I lost it, uh, that was quite nice. Um, and then more recently... And it's, it's funny because some stuff just let me cut. A lot of the really big... Um, uh, I always liked Alan Partridge. The Chris Morris kind of stuff. I just find very cold and hard, and I just could never get into it. And it's quite weird working in... Um, you know, working for Talkback and Channel 4 being there in the early 2000s, mm. you're supposed to love Chris Morris. 
And I was sort of like, I, I don't, I'm not getting it. It's leaving, it's leaving I, me a bit cold. I, I liked it, but I, I used to, it used to, it, it, it used to make me laugh, but I used to come out of it feeling a bit depressed. Yes. There's something, I don't know. It was, it was interesting. I think, oh, Yes Minister, that was the thing that I kind of really just loved. Oh, yeah. Funny enough, I watched some Yes uh, Minister um, on Britbox oh, the other day. I just suddenly thought, oh, gosh, I remember this. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and it's very stagey, which is the sort of thing I don't normally like, but it's so well done. <laughs> yes, it is. It does feel like it should say, live from Her Majesty's Theatre. <laughs> yes. Yes, the, Minister. The Yes Minister players, well, that will be good. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But I'm, there's, there's a show, it's just, well, recently issued, it's called New Girl in the, in the States. And that, that just did it for me. There's six seasons of that. Right. And like a lot of shows, it goes slightly wobbly around season four, and then okay. you pull it back for five and six, and it's almost perfect. And uh, people rave about The Good Place as well. Uh, yeah, I, that was interesting because um, I liked that at the beginning, and then they sort of forgot to have jokes. Right. And he had some brilliant jokes at the beginning. And one of the guys said, I went to the... Um, Oh, Lynyrd Skynyrd. Uh, I went to the Lynyrd Skynyrd Academy, which is basically just six <laughs> tugboats tied together. Oh, that's just a fantastic line. And then they kind of got into the characters and the idea and they forgot the comedy in a right. weird sort of way. They forgot the joke. Oh, OK, OK. But yeah. So, um, I mean, do you think that... Um, what would your advice be as a comedy writer? What would your advice be to people who want to um, get into comedy, write comedy? Um, well, number one, write stuff that you think is funny. Don't write to amuse other people because that's you, you'll just get lost very, very quickly. So write stuff to make yourself laugh, and also the personal is universal. And like it, weirdly, when uh, I was writing for Smack the Pony, I'd mm. write loads of stuff, and there's stuff that was really specific. I thought no one would get. Right. That was the stuff that got that always got in. Right. Okay. Really specific little things about my own life, and because you realised that actually they were the part and parcel of the minutiae of a lot of people's lives. Or, yeah, exactly. Or they just rang true, I suppose. And so it kind of rang true, and there's um. I don't know, and, it, and sometimes it's just an idea or something really kind of slight. But seeing someone play with that is really funny. So I did someone, some, uh, there's a sketch about uh, a guy uh, who doesn't know, he's gone on a date and doesn't know how to finish it, and he kind of doesn't know how to kiss her. <laughs> so he's just standing there and he's just going, hey, ooh, ha, bing bong, and he's sort of like grabbing her nose and doing stuff like that. And then at the end, he's just like, well, that's it, that's my whole bag of tricks. <laughs> and she just walks off. I thought, that's my life. That's going to write what you know. And it was so lovely seeing that because they just did, they obviously, they just got it. They made it about three times as long, which is great. So yeah, writing really specific stuff about your own life. And people think, oh, my life's boring. Mm. But you know, there will be things that are just absolutely universal. But boring can be funny, can't it? Boring can be funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I everyone's been told them to go and do a YouTube series or go and put some sketches on YouTube. Not mm. everyone's a performer. No, that's true. You know, it's fine. Just, no, to, no. just to write stuff. No, that's right. Um, it is, as we, we to take us full circle to where we sort of started, there is a lot of the culture now of writer-performer and, and, it, it, and it, you don't want to be put off. I mean, the truth is, well, with all writing is that you can always talk yourself out of it and say, oh, I'll fail because of this or because of that yeah. or because the system is weighted against me in some way. Whereas the truth of the matter is you, you know for sure if you don't write and put it out there, you know you're never going to have anything yeah. bought or made because it's not out there. And, and it's always better to have the stuff in the world. And um, you know then there's always that possibility that the phone's going to ring and someone's going to say, I absolutely love this, I want to yeah. develop it. I mean, I, I, uh, as soon as I got a Smack the Pony sketch commission, which was like, what, 300 quid? I quit my day job. <laughs> that Whoa. was it, I quit my day job. And I told the producer as well, I mean, I was like, yeah, I just quit my day job. She looked at me like, you 
absolutely lunatic. Did you go into your boss and go, screw I'm you, out. Mr. Wilkinson? I kind of did. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just said, I'm off. Goodbye. I didn't want to work for the charity oh, the bankers got, anyway. So that I've just good. got myself 300 quid. Pounds. Well, I should have taken 300 quid out, just thrown it at them and stormed out. And then gone, oh, I'm going to die now. <laughs> I have no way of living. But I did very quickly then go and get a job because I realised I was going to die. So, um, yeah. So maybe don't do that. I think not, although not having a plan B has worked out quite well. Because there's a period where it just goes quiet and there's no reason. It's not because you're suddenly crap. It will just go quiet for a few years. And uh, if you've got a plan B, that sort of sucks you out of it. And, you know, or be independently wealthy. Yes, you know, try and be independently try and wealthy, be in, kids. Try and inherit some wealth. That's yes. really good. Quite yeah. a lot of that in, well, that in comedy. Anyway, <laughs> this is it. It's the bitterness of resentment coming back. But um, it's really difficult giving advice because by the time you've, you're making a living at it, whichever doorway you came in is long ago closed. And there's a whole new way of doing it. So uh, it's very hard. So you end up with very general sort of principles. Oh, this you can't see it. This is very pretty. It's very pretty where we are. We're, we're slightly away from the river now, and we are just what I seem to be going through secluded millionaire's ride. <laughs> I'm going to take a photo. Right, this is a very nice house and garden. I'm going to take a photo of this. Right, we stopped at millionaire's house. And uh, we've turned around, we're going to come back now, we've just gone forever and end up in Bodmin or something like that. We always promised low-level celebrity gossip and um, <laughs> one of the things, a rumour abounded that for a while Piers Brosnan lived in the area. I'd like to think that was one of his that houses. That must be his house. It's yes. got a little stream. If Piers Brosnan lived somewhere, he would have to have a little stream. Yeah. yeah. Go on my little stream, he'd say every morning. <laughs> so that would be very nice. Good morning, little stream. Yeah, my little stream. I, this is That's the definitely borderline. the Piers Brosnan I know. <laughs> That's definitely yeah, the Piers Brosnan I know. He remember. puts on a different accent when he's acting, but you know, that's how Normally he Normally he just talks like this. Oh, it's Piers Brosnan. No, he's a borderline offence. But um, yes, I mean, just I'll talk to you about it because I, one of the things I really like about your stuff is that it is often funny. We've talked about that before. Even like your period drama stuff, <laughs> there's some jokes in there. Yeah. And I love to get some because people have jokes in real life. Yeah. But um, I don't know, that's kind of, I'd be interested to know what your influences are in that area. Yeah, well, more... yeah, I mean, I, thank you because I do, I do, I believe that humour is just simply part of the box of tricks in drama. Um, and I often think some of the very best comedies are sort of what uh, they're basically dramas. I mean, Steptoe and Son is a tragic, tragic story. Yeah. Um, and, and even things like Dad's Army. I mean, they, these things are sort of like Only Fools and Horses. These things are very close to drama to me. But the, I think the influences, the things that gave me the television, that gave me the confidence to put comedy into drama in almost any situation would be Alan Bleasdale. Um, I remember, I think I've talked about this before, so forgive me. Um, to, oh, yes. You know, but, but, but the boys from the black stuff and, um, yeah, Yossa in his, in his confessional box saying to a priest, I'm desperate, Father, please call me Dan. I'm desperate, Dan. <laughs> um, you know, that's a, that's a good example. Um, Dennis Potter, um, the singing detective, Pennies from Heaven. Terrible pain and anguish and suffering in those stories. And, and really ridiculous jokes, and basically jokes, humour, humorous moments that were surreal and laugh out loud funny. Um, obviously, Paul Abbott, his writing. I, I used to love the, the cost, and I don't even just mean shameless, where shameless was more sort of, you know, it was more overtly comedic, whereas when he was writing Cracker, um, and there's a wonderful uh, ITV show called Reckless, um, which I really liked and, um, and, and there was a, always a lot of humour in it as well as a lot of darkness and a lot of really deep drama so 
That's interesting. I watched uh, State of Play again. Oh, yeah, that. Like, fantastic. There's, yeah. Not, there's no room for jokes in that one. It's, like, it's interesting that Cracker somehow had room for jokes, even though it's ostensibly much darker. Maybe you need jokes to slightly relieve it. I attention. think you do, but also, you, but also you, of course, you're always going to be aware that you're writing for Robbie Coltrane. And, yeah, um, he, you know he can do the jokes. You know he can do the jokes, and you, and you just, well, you want to lean into that, that caustic sense of humour, that kind of, you know, that, that, that particularly sardonic approach to life just was so much part of his character. Um, and I think part of particularly, uh, one of the things I've loved doing as a drama writer is writing within the, uh, writing about Northern characters. Because I find Northern characters have a better way of delivering humour. Can I say I that as a Northern character, because I'm originally from Lancashire, mm. I, I agree. I think it's, a, I think, I mean, <laughs> I always, I, better. I, I, you know, I grew up writing, as a writer, I grew up writing on EastEnders and I was very loyal and, 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 and loved the show. But I always used to think that on a day-to-day -day basis, the calibre of writing in Coronation Street was more appealing to me because it was bound up in the sort of absurd as well. And um, the humour that came out of character, particularly Stan and Hilda Ogden and Eddie Yates, these characters were, were just terrific to me. Ina Sharples, they were, they were just brilliant characters. And they, they seemed a little extreme, but in my heart, I knew they probably weren't that extreme, that they were actually real people. I guarantee they weren't. <laughs> they, yeah. they were real people. I mean. they yeah. Weren't, they weren't extreme. And I mean, you know, I'm really glad that we made Life on Mars in, in, in Manchester because originally it was set in London and then it was set in Bristol. And um, I'm really glad it was in Manchester because it afforded that, again, that kind of tough, but, but tough, but humane humour that... Lancashire and and Yorkshire, I think particularly Lancashire, brings out. Yeah, there is a, a strange warmth, isn't there, in kind of Lancashire? You get sentimental about it, I think. But uh, Victoria Wood had that kind of had that kind of warmth. There's always like a sort of contrast with performers as well. Yeah, I yeah. always think. Hello. There's always a, there's a very sort of northern working class comedian, just dead eyed, just really quite not soulless, but very focused on the money. Yeah. But there's, and at the same time, there's a tension. There's actually kind of a, often a warmth and a sort of compassion there as well. And I was like, it's really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, so, you know, you were talking about the show you've been developing and, and, and um, I've been developing a show for Channel 4 through the, through the company, through our new company called Hail Satan. And it's, it is very much a, um, it's not a black comedy. I wouldn't, I would call it a drama. It is a drama, but it is told with a sardonic eye, absolutely. Um, it's premise, it's set up, it's set in Derbyshire, but it's actually about a family from Openshaw in Manchester who moved to Derbyshire. Well, having privilege to read the first script, what I like about it is there's moments where it could be funny and it's consciously chosen to go, I'm going to go slightly over to a slightly scarier place. Well, it's scary, a slightly yeah. eerier place. Yeah. And I think a lot of comedy writing, actually, or drama, is knowing where not to use comedy and how right. to keep, to making people uncomfortable by keeping that tension going and not bursting it with a joke. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's a good point, and, and it is difficult to know. One of the things that, you know, was very hard for writers coming onto Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes to do was to write Gene, because they, they, they sometimes saw him as... And by the way, I'm talking in the context of the writers we had were wonderful, and, and they only went through a process that I went through in the privacy of my own home without being observed of discovering what, who Gene Hunt was and what his voice was. Yes, it would be very easy to write him as, like, a straightforward one-dimensional, almost like Judge Dredd. Yeah, but just a... Just waiting for a car to go by. Um, yeah, they, they, I mean, and, and, and often what they would do is they'd either just make him, his humour would just be aggressive. So someone would speak and he'd go, shut up. 
you idiot, shut up. Shut it, you tart. Yeah, and it was just, it was, it, and I would say, look, he's a bit more of a warrior poet than that, you know, and also surprise us. Sometimes yeah. let him just raise a sardonic eyebrow at something he's been told. And then he goes, well, that was, that didn't go the way I thought. Well, that's interesting. You know, just, there are different ways of doing it. Um, that's an awful moment when you have an actor and realise they can't do vulnerability and it's in the character. Yeah. Which only happened a couple of times. Thank you. That's right. But there was, um, there was a time I had that and they're just watching it and there's a sense of like, oh, I think a lot of the notes I've written are not going to be hit <laughs> because we've got this guy and yeah. he does not do vulnerability. Yeah. And he's a great, he's a very good actor. He's a good actor. But it's like, oh, I kind of wish I'd known this before. It's very, very hard to, I would say, coming onto a show, particularly a show with, a, let's say, a, a character who has a lot of comedy in them, is it's like picking up, it's like being a general musician and picking up a new musical instrument. And when I was doing Doctor Who, Doctor Who, of course, is a show with a huge amount of real humour in it. I, I wouldn't say comedy, but if you... Hu- no, definitely humour, humor, though. Yeah. But a lot of humour. Horses. Horses are coming. We have horses coming. Horses They're lovely. Coming. Horses are so exciting. Yes. Proper countryside when the horses are here. So it's the sound of the horses. Right. Um, yeah, and um, obviously the big trick is getting the Doctor's voice right and the Doctor's tone right. Now, David Tennant um, obviously is a very talented um, comedic actor as well as dramatic actor um, and has a con- hyperactivity to him, so a childish hyperactivity to him. I suppose Matt Smith did in a way, although Matt Smith had a slightly sort of gawkier sort of, I can't really describe it, slightly... Um, a slightly more nervous-y, semi-academic, yeah. cloistered academic-y sort of humour to him, which was different and interesting in a different way. And, um, you know, so, I, so when I jumped into to doing Doctor Who, I felt as though I had a very clear flavour of the type of humour that I had to play with. And, um, and, and I, I have to say to my own... Um, uh, forgive me for, for, for humility aside, I, I feel like I, I landed that humour quite quite well. Yeah. And um, Matt Smith's character was harder to land the humour because, it, in some ways, it was a more co- oh, it was a more complicated version of the Doctor in some ways. But also, um, Stephen Moffat is a master writer of comedy. And the problem when you <laughs> are writing on a show yeah. where the showrunner is a BAFTA award-winning comedy writer is that you know that most of your gags probably won't land as well as his. Um, and 90% there could just feels like, sometimes feels like 30% of the way there, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, right. Down the, that's I remember, right. I remember him saying to me, actually, that um, there's a bit where Matt Smith, oh, he finds a lever or something. He's, oh, it's an extra 722 lever. I've not seen you for a long time. Yeah. And he said, even as he's writing it, he's like, oh, I've done this too many times. I don't want to write this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to write this character having that voice and having these moments oh, anymore. Really? Because I feel like I could do this in my sleep. And it felt like, oh, that's interesting, the minute he was really too comfortable with it, he knew it was time to do something else. There were a couple of things in, in my Matt Smith Doctor Who that I really... We cut out for, for time because the episode was over long. And I really, I really wish we'd had it because it was humour, but it was the warmest type of Doctor Who humour. And it was the opening of the episode and the TARDIS had, had hit her son solar flare was out of control and was tumbling towards what turned out to be a future earth and um the doctor was trying to control the tardis and it wouldn't be controlled and it was overheating and they were spinning across the sea the ocean at north the north sea in fact at high speed and um the doctor said we need to open the dear little hatch (laughs) i created a thing in the tardis called the dear little hatch and it was a hidden 
hatch in the floor of the control room and you <laughs> right. open it up and then the water is rizzing by underneath oh the TARDIS. And he, and, and he got Rory to lower buckets into the... <laughs> hello. Hey. Buckets into the water and lift out. And, 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 and he was like, oh, I love the dear little hatch. And, and for a while, everyone on the production, whenever I bumped into them, they'd say, oh, we love the dear little hatch. <laughs> everyone was talking about the dear little hatch. Um, and, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the listeners now be going, oh, that doesn't sound rubbish to me. But, um, <laughs> but it, was, it was cut out for, for, for time and, and, um, and it was a shame. And, and, but as a result, he also had to, uh, his navigation had gone down, so he had to pinpoint something, some kind of fixed point that he could focus on and bring the TARDIS into land. And what he found on his screen was a cockerel. And he followed the cockerel. And, uh, the idea was that you thought, well, there's a cockerel. It's a pro profile of a cockerel on graph computer graphics. And he, he, he goes, we, we're hone in on the cockerel, hone in on the cockerel. And then the, the, the TARDIS lands and he jumps outside and there's a weather vane with a cockerel. He goes, ah, oh, I love a cockerel. They cut the whole sequence except the, ah, oh, I love a cockerel. <laughs> right. And I always felt that completely stranded the gag. Oh. It made it look like a random Matt Smithism, a random Yes, but it was thing. actually part of something. But it was actually part of something. Yeah. That's the problem with um, with comedy drama, not not Doctor's comedy drama. It's so often the, the jokes get cut because the story is all important, and yes. if something's going to be cut, it's going to be a little. Yes. It's going to be a little bit. And um, I always admired uh, so Vic, who's a producer of Grooming, that she would have little throwaway standalones that are called little funny moments. Yeah. And the Channel Four always go, well, you can cut that for time. She's like, no, this is the cart of the show. It's something that doesn't go anywhere and yeah. doesn't make any sense, but is really, really funny. But that's a really good point. Comedy is often the heart. That's the thing. It can really be the heart um, of anything, of any story. If you're laughing along with at least one of your characters, rather than laughing at them, you are empathising in a very profound, yeah. immediate way. And drama is ultimately, you know, it's about empathy. As writers, we're trying to create empathy with the characters and the audience. So let's car come past. There's a wonderful bit in State of Play you say about State of Play not having humour, which you're absolutely right. There was one very laugh out loud moment in which Mark Warren's journalist infiltrates yes. a, a kind of a secret meeting and is being bugged um, by, uh, by Tom Burke who is sitting in another hotel room with a recording equipment. And Mark Warren gets discovered and gets the absolute crap beaten out of him and comes crawling literally on his bloody hands and knees back into the hotel room. And Tom Burke looks up from his um, tape recording at the battered and bleeding and wheezing Mark Warren and goes, Hiya! <laughs> um, and it's just the yes, best use of Hiya I've ever seen, ever, and, and will ever see again. Mark in Warren is a properly funny character in that. And also, obviously, um, oh God, what's the editor? The, the actually plays the editor. Um, uh, um, David Morrissey. Um, no, no, the no, no, sorry, old, not David Morrissey. Uh, John um, Sim. No, the the, the editor, the, the older guy. Uh, it's tough oh name. gosh, um, I can't remember his I'm name. just floundering now. Yeah, I'm floundering as well. We can edit, edit in his name later on. But yeah, th there is there is humour in it. But I think it goes by so fast. Um, Mike yeah, Lee, forgot, Mike actually. Lee stuff is very funny. Um, yes, Mike Lee was also another inspiration for me. Um, obviously, there are. <laughs> there really are. If you ever watch bleak moments, you will not find a laugh in bleak moments. But yes. we can all laugh at Abigail's party just as we can recoil at the horror of it. And anyone who's watched Life is Sweet or nuts, Naked nuts or Nuts in May, in May um, Hello. will know that, that, that there is actually almost absurdism in, in yes. some of Mike Lee's work. 
You know, I always preferred uh, Jack Rosenthal. I don't know how much of his stuff. Oh, I love, yes, Eskimo Day. Yeah, that was just heartbreaking, but very yeah. funny. Yeah. Somebody, I kind of clicked with him more than He was Mike a great quarry writer, wasn't he? Jack was Rosenthal. he? Oh, there you go. I believe he wrote yeah. quarry. I, I, someone will, can someone, re, listeners, both of our listeners, please, if you, if you know whether Jack Rosenthal actually did write on Coronation Street, I believe he did. He was certainly a big Granada writer. That could be. He Was he Northern? Was he Magic? Yeah. Uh, yeah Maybe that's... Um, I've always assumed Mike Lee was from London, actually. I don't know. Mike true. Lee? Yeah. Oh, I don't Do know about Mike to... Lee. I think Jack Rosenthal was from the North. From the North, yeah. Maybe that's why I kind of clicked slightly more with yeah. uh, Jack Rosenthal. But this, it's funny with, um, I don't know, because you've written a lot of stuff for the BBC. The issue I quite often have with the BBC, because I developed various dramas that have funny bits in them. Yeah. And they get to a certain point, mm. and you get the feeling that the BBC worry because there's this division between comedy and drama. Uh -huh. And if a drama has got too many jokes in it, suddenly it becomes a frivolous waste of licence fee money. Yeah. I think that's... They, <laughs> they genuinely think this. is like They get, oh, I'm not sure. And yet somehow it's all right for drama to creep into comedy half hours. I think historically that is true. Um, I think historically uh, the BBC drama departments, when I first w was trying to make inroads into the BBC... Indeed, um, all the networks, all the, well, both of them in those days, ITV and, and uh, the BBC. I think it's fair to say that the drama commissioners were not predisposed to humour in their lives, let alone in their screen. <laughs> <network. They laughs> yes. they, were, they were lovely people, but they were very serious. I, I'm talking about people like, um, and I say love and respect, this is with love and respect, but people like Peter Grugine, um, and um, and even to some degree, I mean, I really enjoyed Nick Elliott um, at ITV, his company. He was a he was a bomb bomb viver and a great raconteur, and a hugely intelligent man. But he, but he, yeah, he, he kind of used to sometimes roll his eyes at at, the, at silliness in what he would call silliness yes. in the scripts and go, "What's that all about?" Um, so I don't think there was much of a an appetite for comedy because I just don't think the people in drama were comedy people. They were sort of from Oxford and Cambridge and yes. they'd all studied politics. Hello. Hi. They'd all sort of read politics. And well, sometimes come through journalism. Yeah. yeah. Maybe even seen horrible things. <laughs> didn't think that... Uh, yeah. And I'm not saying the BBC didn't commission my, my jobs because they were too funny. You know, I'm not saying that at all. I thought it was interesting. You felt yourself going up. But it was quite hard to justify... Some well, funny the first thing, the first things that were cut out of my scripts, or the things I had to defend, were the, always the humorous things. And I look back and I do know that some of them I went too far. Yeah. I remember writing an episode of a cop show, and having a criminal in it called Richard Turpin, and 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 just that I could have his Dick Turpin joke. And um, then there was a man who. Um, I found a way in which he he had wooden teeth, and they set and he set fire to. Oh, it was silly! It was setting fire to wooden teeth or something. It was it was very farcical. Yes. In the middle of this straight BBC cop drama. I think some of the BBC go. We're not going to win an award with this at this rate. No, this isn't very awarded. It's not gritty BAFTA, is it? No, not gritty. But those, I I think as well, looking back, that the ones that I didn't really have quite had the dramatic chops to get away with the funny bits. I'm wondering if maybe the drama wasn't quite deep enough. That the comedy came along as a way of sort of uh, breaking the tension. Yeah. It, maybe it was so-so drama and then a funny bit. And it just makes half an hour, mate, just do a sitcom. Like I, I, I think I think that's right. I, I also think humour sometimes is put in by writers, and I'm speaking of myself here as much as anyone, in order for you to try and like the script. Yeah. It's sort of saying, if you're laughing or smiling at a line, you're going to like my script, my yes. drama, you know. Um, but you see, you know, there... Russell T. Davis is a, is a writer full of uh, not only heart, 
and pathos, but great, great warmth and wit. And at times, even in his most serious dramas, there is almost silliness. And I'm fully expecting there will be a degree of laugh-out-loud humour in It's a Sin, yeah. which is already being heralded as one of the great TV dramas. Um, and starts, I think, very soon and, and, and looks wonderful. Um, everything that Russell T. Davis writes, in my opinion, is terrific. And um, one of the reasons why I love his writing so much is it always comes from a place of truth, but it also has this huge heart of humour and warmth. And the humour is usually warm and and then... This is built into it, I think, isn't it? It's built into it brilliantly. Built into it brilliantly. Very difficult to do, by the way. It's very, very difficult to balance humour and drama, and you can really get it wrong. I've seen Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes on Netflix credited as comedy yeah. before. It's you... not, is it? It's not. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> there are times if you watched a ten-minute section yeah. out of context, <laughs> you, pulled out of it, you yes. would probably think you were watching a but comedy. It, it is drama. It just goes in interesting sort of... But interestingly, interesting when we were place. developing it, I had a panic attack just as we were filming it. I've been watching rushes all day of Gene drinking beer, eating pies, smoking and punching people. And at the same time, the fast show had just started running Monkfish. <laughs> oh, yes. I always wondered what, what the timing was on that. Inspector Monkfish. Inspector Monkfish. I and Inspector I looked at Monkfish, Monkfish and I remember phoning Ashley and going, I think the fast show have just done it. us for the post. They've just done <laughs> Monkfish. We've basically done Monkfish of the TV series. Wow. Um, You're actually tapping into the same thing, but I yeah. think it was all right. <laughs> but, I think uh, the, yeah, it just showed, I suppose, that the world was, was really up for a bit of um, unreconstructed testosterone boozy spags, spag eating copper <laughs> right so let some bikes come by okay well i will make should we stop there yeah i think we i feel like it's ramblier than normal but on the plus side there were horses and neither of us fell over no no one got injured no one got injured so that's quite good that's always so a i think maybe until we'll next time there. until next time and yes. the next one may be conducted over zoom um as we will be um, James and I will be in different parts of the country oh, yes. um, for a while, um, but we will bring in guests. I think it's time to bring I think in it's time to bring special guests. guests yes. You've had enough of us. Yes, let's get some yeah, fresh voice in there, for God's yeah. sake. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll do another one at some point. Adios. Bye.